0: Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that he has in store for you. Hello, Crossroads. My goodness, it's good to be with you. I always anticipate the high privilege of coming and sharing with you and just amazed at uh, your pastor's generosity in allowing me to come and have these opportunities. You are such a remarkable faith community and i You know, that's not even a compliment. That's just a true observation. A lot of folks talk about the kingdom. You folks reveal the kingdom. That presentation about those Christmas stockings and the Christmas gift bags just revealed the heart of compassion that you have toward all of God's children and the embrace that you have trying to help people find their way home. Thank you for all that you do and for who you are. Now, we just celebrated Christmas. We're still in the season of Christmas. Uh, I hope that you had a grand experience. Uh, my wife and I, Lydia, went out to Louisville, Kentucky, where we spent Christmas with our two grandkids and their parents, a 10-year-old boy and um, a 4-year-old girl. One of the things that I was struck struck by is the amount of energy those kids have. The Energizer Bunny could not keep up with them. They were just constantly in motion. Everything was a new adventure for them, and Christmas morning was a whirlwind. But I discovered something. I discovered that when they come over and they hug you, what they're doing is sucking energy out of you, (laughs) and that's what fuels them. But I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. It's such a grand experience. Christmas is certainly one of my favorite times of year. But I also want you to know it's a poignant time. Next year, my wife Lydia and I will celebrate 50 years of marriage. But the truth is, thank you. The truth is, we almost didn't make it to five. You see, when we got married, we were rising juniors in college. We were both working full-time and going to school And trying to figure out this husband and wife thing was tough, especially for me. And how do you live life in relationship with another person who doesn't recognize your own brilliance and just follows along with whatever you say as being absolutely right and good? Certainly we had our moments of tension, and so much so that we seemed to be at loggerheads, and it was uncertain if the marriage would survive primarily because of my own short-sightedness, my own stubbornness, my own willfulness. But on Christmas morning, we had a subdued Christmas. We gave each other gifts, as we're supposed to do. And when all of that was done, I started cleaning up the wrapping paper, but she said, there's there's another gift. It's in the tree. And I said, "I I don't see it. It was an envelope, an envelope that had my name on it. When I took the envelope and opened it up, there was a letter from Lydia saying that she acknowledged that we were going through very tough times and that sometimes she was discouraged, but she said, I love you and I'm committed to our relationship and I will do everything I can for us to endure. Friends, there was no more profound gift that I ever received from another human being on Christmas that was more powerful than that. In fact, it was in that moment that I was broken. And I had that moment of clarity they talk about in AA where you come to the realization, the reality of your own life, where you have come from, where you are, and what what you have done. And for me, it began to be a turning point that led to a restoration after a lot of hard work, a lot of confession, a lot of false starts to mend our relationship and not only to endure for the next 45 years, but to be blessed. So today, as we talk about a gift with your name on it, I want to talk about something that's really important to me in our spiritual journey. You see, I believe that Christmas can be a great time of warmth. I'm all for that. But people talk about warm and fuzzy, and I'm not a fan of fuzzy at all. So I want to talk with great clarity today about that gift with our name on it that sometimes gets overshadowed, that sometimes gets neglected, that sometimes goes unreceived. Now, as we talk about this, I want you to know that my philosophy of worship is that we come to worship God, and during the teaching time, what's really happening is we're not only enjoying the teaching, learning from the teaching for our own edification, for our own growth, we are being resourced so that we can live as God's people in a world that does not understand, that does not know, so that we can be a light in the darkness. So that we can be a venue, we can be a conduit for God's grace and love and can speak and articulate with some clarity and grace and love what the message of hope of Jesus is. So as we think about Christmas, I want us to think about that gift with our name on it and the world's name on it. So let's go back to the Scripture and understand this from the very beginning. When God created the heavens and the earth and God creed, created humanity, God was delighted. God is for humanity. He is for you. God wants such good things for your life and the lives of all human beings who draw breath on this planet. God believes in the future of humanity. God wants that good to come. But we're also taught in the Scripture that there is a problem. Way back there in Genesis, we find that every human being has a flaw, and that flaw is in our self-willed nature. Now, we have the freedom to choose, but in our self-willed nature, we are more bent toward choosing our way than God's way. It's the story of the Garden of Eden. And to quickly add that God has no intention of sending anybody to hell. It's God's intention that everyone find their way home to God's embrace, that everyone be in heaven, that none should be lost. That is God's intention. But God does not force our free will. What God says is, in your free will, you tend to make choices that take you one step at a time, farther and farther away from my intention for your life. I will not go against your free will. You will always have the freedom to choose. But know my heart is always for you and not against you. So God tells us that God's for us, but each of us has a flaw. John Ortberg, who is a pastor and an author, who I I dearly love the way he writes, talks about this, this fallen nature as a stain. And when he was talking about that in one of his books, it it helped me recall an incident that I had a long time ago now when I was pastoring a church. I had a ministerial colleague on staff with me, and we co-taught a women's Bible study. There were about 25 ladies in this, and we would do the fall semester, and it would end after Thanksgiving but before Christmas, and they always ended the fall semester with a Christmas dinner. This year, it was at a lady's house that just, it was a wonderful house. When you walked in, you were just struck how everything was so well appointed. Everything in its place, everything went with everything else, and we were struck by the fact that it had snow-white carpet. It was so bright white I had no trouble believing that no child, no grandchild, and no pet had ever set foot on that carpet. Now the spread was on the dining room table, buffet style, And we each grabbed our paper plate, and we began to go through the line. There was the traditional ham to eat. We got some of that. There was salad with cherry tomatoes. We got some of that. There were green beans. We got some of that. There were those little boiled potatoes, those little ones, and got some of that. And then for dessert was a cherry tart. I'm going to show you one right up there. Doesn't that look good? Cherry tart, so you get that on your plate. Now, you you, uh, then made your way into the living area, and there were so many of us that my colleague and I were sitting in the entryway where we could see into the living area, and the front door was on my right. So we're sitting there, no TV trays, and of course, no room at the table, so you're balancing the paper plate on your lap, you have a drink, you have a fork, and you have a knife, And you're trying to navigate all this. And I was doing pretty well until I took my fork and I began to put pressure on one of those little round boiled potatoes. And as I put pressure on that potato, it shot out from under that fork, sped across the plate, completely ignoring the ham and the green beans, and made a beeline for that cherry tart. It hit that cherry tart with such force that it launched it into the air, end over end. And about that time, everything went into slow motion. And I watched it reach the zenith of its rise and then to start down, my fork was in one hand, the paper plate in another, so I threw my leg out to the side, trying to catch it. It hit my leg and then landed face down on the snowy white carpet, making an even bigger stain on the carpet than the one on my pants as it oozed its cherry mixtures deep into the fabric. I looked at that. It was so quiet in the house. And then when I looked up, my minister friend and colleague was looking at me eyeball to eyeball. And for the first time in my entire life and the last time I could read another person's mind, he was thinking, I am so glad that was you instead of me. John Ortberg says we all have a stain. We all have a stain on our character upon our very souls. Now, the hostess was very gracious. She came over, and we worked diligently trying to clean up as much of that stain as possible, and she allowed me to stay, didn't throw me out of her house. (laughs) But I kept thinking about that, and all through the rest of the time, when I was there, every time I got up, I would take my white napkin, and I would place it over my leg so nobody I thought could see my stain. We call that stain management. In social psychology, they have something they call the fundamental attribution error. It means that whatever's going on in my life, I can hide, I can discount, I can say it's not that bad. And I look at somebody else's life and whatever mistakes they make or whatever stains they may have, and I say to myself, well, man, they've got a very poor character. They're just a sorry so-and-so. All the time ignoring my own, not willing to address it, not willing to admit it, continuing to hide it. The Apostle Paul had something to say about that. He said, in effect, we all have a stained nature, a sin nature. Over there in Romans, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not a few, not most, not many, all. Now, the interesting thing about this this word sin is that it's a derivative of an old archery term that is used when the archer draws back the arrow, lets it fly toward the target, and the arrow does not find its mark. When it misses its mark, that derivative word says sin. It has missed the mark. We have missed the mark of God's intention. We have missed the mark of God's best for us. We have missed the mark of who God calls us to be, dreams us to be, wants us to be. And Paul says that has happened to each and every single person. One of us. If I'm honest, there's a tension within me that exists. I sense that I am not who I could be, and I struggle. I struggle with doing right things. A little bit later on, that same Apostle Paul writes over in Romans chapter 7 The good things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the things I know I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There is sin in me, and it's deep, and it's serious, and it separates me from a holy God. So what do we do about that? Do we continue in stain management? Do we look for moral reformation? Do we try in and of our own selves to get ourselves in the right place, ridding ourselves of that stain by my good deeds and self-improvement? The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, and I'm paraphrasing although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, although you try to do moral self improvement, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. The Holy One says, We have a stained nature. And no, We can't manage it. But the Scripture also declares that the Holy One has made a way to manage it. The Holy One has made a way to redeem it. That's the story of Jesus at Christmas. That's the story of the babe in the manger. You remember when Joseph found out that Mary was going to have a baby and it wasn't his, he decided he would put her away quietly. Now, he was a righteous man, and a righteous man a righteous man had every right to take a person like Mary to the city gates and have her stoned to death because of what she had done broken the betrothal vows but he decided to put her away quietly but when he is in a fitful sleep an angel comes to him and says no, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. What stirs within her is of God. And then the angel says, the angel says over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, says this of Jesus He will save his people from their sin. That's the gift of Christmas. This little one who stayed, not a little one, but grew to teach, to live, to love, to give his life upon a cross to take the stain of our sinfulness that we might be redeemed, that our lives might be renewed, that we might have new beginnings for the gift that has our name on it. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't clean up enough. Interesting, isn't it? The folks in AA, I don't walk that particular recovery journey, but I have a lot of friends who do, and they come to that point in that moment of clarity that I mentioned where they recognize who they are, what they are, and they say, I don't want this anymore. And then the recognition that says, if I want life to be different, I must willingly turn my life over to a higher power because without that higher power, I recognize I am lost. Friends, the message of Christmas and its great glad tidings, great glad news, God's intention for us is so relentless that Jesus has come and he has offered himself to all of humanity And says, I bring you not only forgiveness, but new beginnings. I bring you that relationship that will be your companion and your champion for your life. That indeed, as you live your life, I will be with you in the crisis moments, in the celebration moments, on your sick bed, on your death bed. I will never forsake. I will never leave you. This Jesus, who came so long ago in a stable, came to show us the very heart of God, for you, for me, for all of humanity, he's the gift with your name on it. Do you remember John three sixteen? We're going to put it up, put it up on the screen. John three sixteen and seventeen. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to change a couple of words. Up there in that third line, instead of that whoever, instead I want you to quietly say your name when we read it again. That your name believes in him. Should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn your name, but that your name might be saved through him. Got it? All right, let's do it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that Ken, when believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn Ken, but that Ken might be saved through him. That's what he offers. That's what he wants you to have. That's what he wants the world to have. But you and I must decide whether we'll receive it. A young lady wrote to her pastor about her dad and this is a letter that was written through tears. This young lady loved her dad. But her dad had acted out in destructive ways in relationship with her mom and with the two daughters in this family and she was she was just pouring her heart out to her pastor. And she said, "My dad my dad is like a a red shirt." in a laundry of white clothes. He stains everything he touches. Truth is, Scripture says, we're all red-shirt people. Every one of us. Oh, I can look over here and I can say, well, that person's got really deep stains. I mean, I can see them from 100 feet away and I got bad eyesight. Oh, that person over there has got a terrible character. And I can do that, I can do that, and I can discount and try to cover my own, but it does not change the reality that as I stand before a holy God who loves me deeply, God sees what I even refuse to see, my stain, my red shirt. But Jesus says, there's hope for all us red shirt people. And we can hearken all the way back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. I love that. Come now, let's settle this. Let's get real. Let's have that moment of clarity. Let's recognize who you are, what you are, and what you need. Come, let's settle this. And he goes on to say, Though your sins, though your stains be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And Jesus says, All of you red shirt people, let me have your stain because I want to give you something better friends in just a few moments I'm going to invite the praise team to lead us in a closing song and if you look in your bulletin you're going to find a little gift card it says from your heavenly father it's got that John 3:16 on there and the two is blank now you don't have to do it now but you sure can do it now you might want to write your name in there and just acknowledge. You can put your name on there and then underneath it say, got it. And I'm thankful. Praise you. Praise you, God. You might write, write your name on there and say, I want it. I want it. And then take a step by talking with somebody you trust, a Christian brother or sister, one of your pastors, one of the spiritual leaders here and begin your journey. God wants you to have the gift. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for these moments. We pray that it will be a moment of clarity, that we'll be real about who we are, what we are, and what we need. We are not the people you have claimed us and called us to be. We acknowledge that. And we want life to be different. We want life as you dream it to be for us. So grant us the courage to take the next step to give you thanks for what you've already done as we've received the gift, to have the courage to say yes to your invitation, to step forward and say, I want to pray for one specific person I know needs this gift. And God, I want to be your instrument of somehow being a positive influence in their life to help them take a step in that spiritual journey. However God leads you. If you want to come... If you want to come and just stand at the altar and make your prayer of thanksgiving, of hope, of commitment, whatever God leads you to do, come as you are led by the Spirit and then return to your seat. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.